The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago and the second best time is now. Hi, I'm Holly Ransom and welcome to Coffee Pods, a podcast devoted to fueling your difference. Here at Coffee Pods, we have a simple hypothesis that in the mere amount of time it takes to share a cup of coffee with someone, we can tap into a lifetime of experience. And that's exactly what we aim to do here at Coffee Pods, to give access to some incredible individuals who've marched to the beat of their own drum and who are willing to share their advice, their highs, their lows, their insights, in order to help give each and every one of us the toolkit and the inspiration to fuel the difference that we're trying to make in our own lives, communities and organisations. Coffee Potters, we have an awesome guest to round out 2018 for you. His name is James Chin Moody. Currently, he's the CEO of Sendle, a disruptive business that is shaking up the postal industry. Prior to that, he was Executive Director of Development at Australia's National Research Agency, CSIRO. He's a co-author of a best-selling book, The Sixth Wave, How to Succeed in a Resource-Limited World. And he's also heavily involved in significant global organisations, including uh, the World Economic Forum. He's a young global leader. He's also heavily involved in global climate conversations. James is a really phenomenal communicator and his story is fascinating. He's an engineer by background who's now running um, one of Australia's fastest growing startups. And in this conversation, we talk about what it takes to establish uh, a business and to grow it successfully, how to build a good team, um, what it takes to maintain your commitment to your vision, and also the experience that James has had himself as an entrepreneur. One of the things I really appreciate about James is the, the clarity with which he communicates and the really insightful ideas and suggestions he has that I think each and every one of us can take something away from. I'm going to leave it there. Enjoy. Here's James Chin Moody. James Tim Moody, I've been so excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much for making the time to join us on Coffee Pots. Great to spend some time, Holly. One of the things reading your kind of bio, you know, I expect you to almost be a mad scientist type of inventor, not someone who's running a, a, a packaging company. How did it come to be that you've ended up at Sendle? Look, it is funny. I never actually thought I'd be in logistics, but interestingly, the, the journey there uh, in some ways is, is one of just solving problems. Because of the, you know, at my very heart, I'm an engineer. And one of the things I love about engineering is just trying to find really chunky problems to solve and then finding elegant solutions for them. And so, um, interesting, the journey for Sendle actually, yeah, didn't start in logistics. It actually started off with a business called TwoShare. And what TwoShare was, was a, a sharing platform. Um, the purpose of that was to try to help items, you know, bags of baby clothes. My, my co-founder and I um, both had young children. You know, bags of baby clothes, golf clubs, kitchenware, anything, you know, uh, old books, help those things see another life. And so, with the idea of the, the business was pretty much, well, you know, there's places where you can sell stuff, but there's a whole lot of things that just still aren't really worth selling. Could you just give them away? Like if somebody says, would you like a bag of baby clothes? I'll give you a bag of baby clothes <laughs> because I would love those things to see another, you know, to, to be worn by somebody else. So the idea for the business was, well, if we could actually make it really, really easy to share, then a lot more people will do it. But, and this is the critical piece, what was the, what, how, do you, how do you have a business model behind that? What we realized was the thing that would make it really easy, which uh, was, was getting the shipping sorted out. Because the biggest pain point for sharing is getting those items from one person to another. 
And suddenly that became the business model for, for the sharing business, which was, well, you know, unlike Amazon, say, which will sell you things and then give you free shipping, we'll find all this free, sh- free stuff and then we'll charge you for the shipping. And it was that that actually began the journey that we're now seeing into Sendal because we actually had to solve the shipping problem. So tell me, you know, am I right in saying, based on your background, this is your your first startup experience in Sendal? Yes, it is. Yeah. So before that, I was uh, I used to sit on the CSIRO executive. Um, I was at CSIRO for seven years. And um, before that, I was a satellite engineer. So I was uh, helping to build Australia's first satellite in 30 years. Oh, I find that fascinating. We're going to delve back into that in a second, but I'm intrigued, you know, based on your expectations that you had for what running a startup would be like, has Sendal matched your expectations or has it been pretty different? I think I've been on a, a massive learning journey um, throughout the whole thing, and but but I mean, it's exceeded my expectations. One of the, one of the things I realised, um, I think, uh, you know, particularly after I'd finished at CSI, was that there were two things that, I, that really got me up in the morning and got me got me pumped. You know, one was purpose. Can you be doing something that's actually meaningful to yourself and others and solving a really good problem? And the second one is actually growth. Uh, the thing about growth is that, you know, it, it actually, it can, it, it really drives culture. It can actually make, you know, you can solve problems. You can, you can actually, you know, see things changing as you go. And so purpose and growth, and that's actually for anyone out there who's thinking about changing role, for example, can you find purpose and are you in an industry and a, and a, and a business that is growing very rapidly? And, and I think that the, the good thing is that was what I was striving for. For Sendal, you know, we've absolutely found that. And you strike me as someone who's about learning smart too. What strategies have you kind of employed to, to get yourself up to speed in a totally new way of working in a totally new industry as quickly as possible? Like how have you supported that learning journey? I think the first thing to realise, and particularly with startups, you know, startups you've got a lot of disadvantages um, because you're, you, know, you don't have scale, you don't necessarily have money. But one of the things you have is you have speed. And, you know, and, and they say these days, particularly with technology, you know, we can start up businesses, you know, extremely rapidly thanks to cloud services, cloud accounting, offshore, whatever it might be. You can do incredible things and it's all about speed. In the old days, it used to be the big eat the small. Now I firmly believe it's the fast eat the slow. Uh, so the first thing I, I and a big realization was that speed is everything. And also, you know, time, as they say, is the only non renewable resource. You know, if you think about it, you have, there's about 200 working days a year, say, right? So every day is 0.5% of the year. You know, every hour, you, you know, within that day is precious. And so the thing you, you know, the thing, and actually the, the flip side, the thing that kills all startups is running out of time. It's not running out of money, right? You run out of money because you run out of time. You run out of enthusiasm because you took too long to get there. Your competitors catch up because you took too long to get there. It's all about time. The moment you realize that speed is everything, then you can start to orient the business around how do I get to where I'm going as quickly as we possibly can. And we've built a whole lot of techniques for doing that within Sendal, um, but really comes down to this firm realization that time is the most critical resource. I love that. And I'd be interested to hear a little bit more about it if, if you're comfortable sharing an example of sort of a, a technique that you're using. Because I think we have this conversation and, and we're using it more broadly in business now about this notion of minimum viable product. And a lot of entrepreneurs will talk to you about the idea that it's not about the one good idea. It's about the hundred bad ideas <coughs> and, and what's sort of that velocity of testing them that allows you to, to move through that with a speed, as you said, that picks up on the great idea and allows you to scale that rapidly. How have you actually done that from a business like system standpoint? So, so there's a whole lot of things, as you say. You know, one of them is 
realizing that evolution is much quicker than, than you know, sort of sitting in a room and designing something up for six months. Um, you know, we release a new version of Sindel. You'll never see it, but almost every day. And because, why is that? And, and but because but they're always tiny little incremental improvements. And, you know, in order to get to that, whereas with some businesses, it might take six months before a new version comes out. You know, you do that because, firstly, we've got massive amounts of test coverage, right? We know that when we release something, it's going to be bulletproof. Um, you know, that allows you to actually start to explore and to learn. Um, we, we know that as we, as we slowly build, um, there'll be, we, we sometimes talk about future us, you know, knowing what, what is a problem for now and what is a problem for future you. Mm-hmm. Um, is a really important thing. And then having confidence that you, your, you know, and, and your team will solve this in the future, right? Because too, too often you can jump at things that aren't problems actually at all. Um, yeah. And then sometimes it's how you organize yourselves. You know, we, uh, you know, we very much, we, we've killed emails internally um, because emails are a great time sink. Instead, you move to chat system. You know, we're on Slack. Um, we don't send documents around. Everything's you know, a, a Google Doc, um, so you can collaborate on them. You know, all those little things can really speed you up as you're going down this this journey. And I wanted to ask you as well, the, the other thing, and Matt Brimer from General Assembly was, was talking the other week with us on the podcast about the importance and probably, you know, the greatest significance even in a startup um, ecosystem or within that culture of the, the people that you pick and who you bring into the business and the fact that because you're that small team to begin with, every role is almost twice as crucial as they might be within a 5,000-strong organisation. What have you learned about how to get the right people on the bus and uh, and work out where to position them to? Yeah, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. It, it is at the end of the day, it's all about the people. You know, there's a there's a uh, I once saw a, a good uh, talk. It was at the Sunrise Conference where you know, um, really a, a, a startup needs three things: it needs a great market, a great product, and a great team. If you have to sacrifice one of those, sacrifice product because a great team in a fan- in a great market will work it out. And, you know, and those two things, I think, is, you know, staying focused. Am I solving a problem that's really meaningful? What's my purpose and what's the market that I'm pursuing is something you can choose. Um, and you, you often do that right at the beginning. But the other thing is, you know, finding that team is an ever-evolving process. And so, for example, at Sindel, and this is something that I, I sort of drew upon from when I was at CSIRO and had, uh, was doing a lot of recruiting, and we've got what we call the five H's. And these are, these are you know, they're, they're very much us. Uh, not necessarily everyone else wants to, to adopt them, but we, we, we look for people who are in, and, and it's got to be in this order. They've got to be humble, honest, happy, hungry, and then high performing. And the reason why they're in that order is because you can find high performers, but we want people who are more humble than high performing, right? Well, they've got to be high performing as well. They've got to be all of them, but they've got to be able to work together in a team. We want people who are hungry and ambitious, but they've actually got to be more honest than they're hungry. So they don't take shortcuts or, you know, or overpromise. Um, and and really, we find that those things cascade. You know, humility breeds honesty. Honesty breeds positivity and happiness. That breeds ambition. That breeds performance. I love yeah. the amount of intentional thought that sits behind that. I've, I, you know, you hear a lot of organisations that have got values, but very rarely with such specificity as to the ordering in that regard. <laughs> I find that. Um, so I've been the on the, the, the other end of values um, processes where, yeah, they didn't really have a structure or a meaning or a framework. And it's very hard to remember. And it's like, why these ones? You know, why not this other set? And so interestingly, yeah, the, when we, 
when we think about the values, it's like there is purpose in these things. And actually the thing I love about those is it's actually there's some contention, you might say. Mm. It is very hard to find people who do all five well simultaneously because, you know, yeah, high performers, you know, you're trying to find high performers who can really keep their ego in check, that's something very special. But when you find those five age people, they work together amazingly well and they deliver amazingly quickly. Uh, you strike me as someone who'd have an, a, a different approach to hiring too. How do you go and seek out talent for the roles that you, you're after? You know, we, we look for values first and then, of course, we look at skills. You know, we have a couple of ways. One, one is actually, you know, the best, uh, the best recruitment is referral. And I think a lot of people know that and we do get a lot of folk referred to us. In fact, we just had um, an amazing um, person join us, uh, um, Eva, who was formerly the head of marketing for Asia for Airbnb, for example. You know, she came to us via a very trusted referral, which was great. And, and it works in both directions. So, you know, having a company that people really want to work for and can are happy to tell other folk is, is perhaps the most important thing you can do when, when thinking about you know, your, your employee experience and the, you know, your employee journey. The second one is really finding recruiters who you can trust, who can actually learn not just, you know, the sort of jobs you want, but the sort of people you want. Mm. And so building a relationship like that is, is, is particularly important for us as well. What have you found to be the <coughs> hardest part of the startup journey with Sandal so far? I think the hardest part is, and, and it's, it, it's coming back to that time thing. The hardest part is actually being able to focus. And my natural predisposition is I want to do everything. You know, I like I, 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 I'm very I like being curious. I like finding things. I don't like saying no to things. Yeah, and I think a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs probably fall into that camp as well that I that I've talked to. But the interesting thing is, unless you focus, you run out of time. And so, for example, coming back to what happened with you know to share that 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 sharing business what we found after about a year and a half and you know that was going really well it had about 50,000 people who were all sharing uh you know things with each other what we found was that the the previous shipping solutions were no good and but what we identified was that there was actually all this idle infrastructure through some of our, the mid-tier courier companies and we found some clever technology that can unlock that infrastructure for our own purposes. So you get to about 2014, and we were suddenly being able to ship parcels, you know, uh, anywhere in Sydney, for example. Like I'm, we're based in Sydney, you can we can pick up a parcel for less than ten bucks. We can ship 25 kilograms anywhere in, in the same capital city, or we could ship a parcel from Sydney to Perth, 10 kilograms for 20 bucks. And Australia Post was charging $45 to ship that same 10 kilograms from Sydney to Perth. And you have to line up at the door. And everything from us was, was you know, door-to-door, pick-up and delivery. And so we get to the end of 2014. And suddenly, it wasn't just that people were using us as a sharing platform. They were actually starting to use this sharing platform to send parcels to one another. Mm. Like, that was, it was a form of hacking. Like, there were, like, our dear customers are actually hacking the platform. They'd sell it on eBay and then they'd pretend to give it away to the same person on the sharing oh, platform. And that was, for us, that was a really strong signal that we'd actually built something that maybe, you know, maybe we shouldn't be building the solution just for ourselves, the shipping solution, but indeed we should be sending, you know, building it for every other marketplace, every other small business. And we found actually that there was this. This other realization was that for small business in Australia, they basically don't have much choice. That there's a uh, effectively a function of monopoly out there, and that's that's in some ways forcing everyone to line up at the post office. So what we found is on one side we had a technology, 
and some, you know, and a network that could actually service small businesses and marketplaces. And the flip side, we had a, a monopoly. And that was when we realized that we wanted to actually become a career company and change our name to Sendle. But the, to the point of focus, for a while there, uh, it was interesting. We were trying to do both. We were trying to both run the shared marketplace and spin up, uh, you know, a logistics company at the same time that would serve the marketplace. So we did that for about six months. But my biggest learning uh, in all of that was that we were just being totally silly and particularly as a startup, you know, if you try to chase two rabbits, you don't catch either, as they say. And, and indeed, it was starting to have an effect on teams because if one business grows faster than the other business, the slower growing business will feel bad. And so eventually, we just had to focus and we realized that not, our purpose was to become a career company. You know, in some ways, we call it, we think about it as we, our purpose was to help small business thrive by making parcel delivery simple, reliable and affordable. And I want to t- touch on that because I, I know you've got a, a wife and kids, you've got um, a huge number of, of passions in the nonprofit space and organisations that you're quite actively involved in. How have you actually managed your own energy over the course of the journey that you've been on to be able to give what you need to all these different dimensions of your life? Because a, a kind of a common theme that comes up with a lot of entrepreneurs is the story of burnout and, and the story of feeling quite isolated on, on the journey oftentimes. Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting because I... I I used to do a lot more stuff than I do now. <laughs> um, I, uh, and, you know, part of this, again, it's making choices and saying no to things. For now, me now, it is about having a golden thread um, that really binds it all together, I think, is the antidote to that. Um, so, for example, I still stay on the um, World Economic Forums. I'm, I'm co-chairing the World Economic Forums Global Council on the future, on the digital economy and society. And, uh, you know, that, why do I do that? Because it feeds me. It gives me new ideas helps me think a lot about, you know, the future of our industry and, and so very much hangs together with the Sendle journey. So, you know, for me, it's about having that golden thread, having that intention for why you're doing things and not just collecting a whole lot of random things to do. And I think it's really important. It's often easier said than done though sometimes. Isn't yeah, because everything's interesting, you know, and everything's, you know, and there's good people all over the place. But it's about, yeah, having that, that a little bit of mindfulness around why you're choosing what you're choosing. And it's that why actually the most important piece. And aside from the work that you do with the World Economic Forum, kind of stimulating that curiosity, where do you turn to keep your finger on the pulse of disruption and innovation and and trends that are not only going to potentially impact your own business, but can just be fuel for your creativity? So look, lots of different places, you know, blogs or podcasts or others. Actually, there's another, um, you know, totally flying in the face of everything I've just said because you know, uh, but there's a model for it. I, there's, a, there's a book called Anti-Fragile, which is by um, Nassim Taleb, who I think is, you know, is a, is, a, is a very good thinker. And one of the things that he talks about is barbelling, um, that you do want to have a, a certain amount of what you might call very secure um, and very certain, you know, whether it's income or ideas or whatever it might be. And then you want to save, you know, 10% of your time for random things, for, for stuff that might just pop up. And I think it's about, you know, barbelling. So I think, you know, I do try to say that 5% of my time or 5% of my conversations or even the company should be spent on doing stuff that's not necessarily immediately obvious. It's still got to have that golden thread. You still want to try to make sure there's consistency in what you do. But, you know, making sure you do save the time and not just stay focused all the time on solving, you know, the immediate problem, you know, opening yourself up will be the thing that can actually create that spark of, oh, wow, this is, this is a different way that we should be going or otherwise. 
you're an interesting entrepreneur in the sense that you've had uh, these roles within large organisations before. You were mentioning you were involved in, in building a satellite, then you were heading up development at Australia's National Research Agency, CSIRO. What, uh, what did you learn from your experience working within large organisations like that? Because I imagine you've always been at the forefront of doing things differently. Um, what did that teach you about how to drive change within large organisations? Yeah, it's um, and it's interesting. Most of most of the settlers, we're, we're all um, we could think of ourselves sometimes as corporate corporate refugees. You know, we've all had experience in very large organisations. Um, you know, our head of um, our head of growth and partnerships, you know, was formerly with eBay, for example, and you know, a whole lot of large large companies. I think the first thing is we've there's there's amazing things in corporates um, around resilience uh, around operating and how you get teams and people to operate and you can learn from all of that. There's also a lot of legacy stuff because most organizations were built, you know, more than 10 years ago and the tools that you have now didn't, you know, to actually run a company quickly and efficiently just did not exist 10 years ago and it's really hard to change that stuff. And so, you know, I think it's a combination of learning, you know, what's great about a large organization, which is, which is about, you know, doing what you said you would do. You know, being able to to deliver, um, but also making sure you don't, you know, don't keep the stuff that's going to hold you back, that slows you down, that stops you iterating. So it's it's a really fine balance of of yeah, what you can take and what you shouldn't take. Is that making you quite intentional at, in your own growth journey around the way that you grow with Sendle, in terms of not <laughs> layering in the process necessarily and bureaucracy that we know can often be a constraint to innovation but balancing that intention as you said with making sure that you you do things in a way where there's consistency and you can deliver on what you promise to do yeah absolutely and and like so for example you talked about minimum viable product i think a lot of folks know about that you know we think about minimum viable process (laughs) which is how do you you know how do you not create process where you don't need to and and i think it's it's elon musk you know because the danger with process is it actually stops people thinking as well if you're not careful right like i do this because this is the way we do it so you really, but you do need a certain amount of process because you've got all these people depending on you. So it's that constant, you know, balance and monitoring what's what's going on, and make but making sure you've got you've got lots of resilience, but also you can maintain speed. When it comes to leadership, what sort of leaders do you admire um, and and have, I guess drawn on as inspiration for your own leadership? So I think for, for me, there's uh, there's that good old um, Jim Collins book, uh, Good to Great. You know, I like that, you know, humble determination concept, uh, which, again, very much aligned, aligned with what we're trying to do with the five H's, um, you know, the level five leader. And sort of so that the folk that I think are the great, are the, you know, are the ones who get in and do it, but they're there to serve. And they're being really, you know, mindful about that uh, and, and making sure that as they do that journey, it's really they're just tra- translating you know, achievement into additional potential because that's the journey we're on, right? It's you can either measure yourself by what you've done or measure yourself by what you're going to do. And I'd, I'd much rather be thinking about every single time we do something, it's just a platform for us to go and do bigger and better things into the future. On the flip side of that, not just the leaders you admire, but the advice that you've gotten over the years from, from mentors <coughs> and people that you might have been exposed to through the World Economic Forum, What's a bit that's really taken root for you and is something that you've used to guide your own career and decision-making? Uh, basically, the, the concept of hell yeah um, is, is a really fascinating one because too often 
we make lukewarm decisions. And uh, basically, you know, if I say, would you like a glass of water? You've got three answers to that. You know, there's yes, I would. No, I wouldn't. Or like, hell yeah, I'm dying of thirst. And, you know, there's what's interesting is that really having this concept of a, a third sort of response to a decision is really powerful because what it allows you to do, particularly for someone who likes to say yes to lots of things, likes, it lets you, you know, because you, you can start to say there's two types of decisions in the world, right? There's those that are, that are reversible that you can, you know, if you make it poorly, you can probably reverse back out of. And they can be lots of little things, you know, whether it's what do I eat for lunch or, you know, do we try out this feature or whatever it might be. And what you should be doing is these can be yes or no decisions. Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. Do it as quickly as you possibly can, you know, and hope that you get 80% of them right. Because if you don't, then as long as you're doing it quickly, you can, you can course correct. And then there's a second set of decisions that are, that are basically irreversible decisions. These are things that, you know, for example, uh, who do I hire, I think, um, is, you know, is a really important thing. Because, you know, how do you, it's, it's, it's an important step for you as a company, it's an important step for the person you hire. So that needs to be a hell yeah decision. Who do you get investment from? Which market do you pursue? All those things uh, are basically what we think of as hell yeah decisions. And that, that really allows us to, to focus and to make the right choice. And I've now remembered who it was that told me about that. That's Greg McCowan, who wrote a book called Essentialism. Um, you know, such as, and he, he went and interviewed all the leaders he possibly could to find out what was the thing that was making them different. And you, you hear Jeff Bezos talks about, you know, high, high velocity, high quality decision making. You know, all of those things for us, we think about that as, you know, hell yeah decisions. I love the idea of hell yeah decisions. And it, it might be a bit of an overlap, but I wanted to ask what, what the habit is that you've intentionally built that you believe has been one of the, the core functions of you being able to be as successful as you have been? What's kind of been one of those bedrock things that you do consistently? Gosh, there's lots of bits and pieces. I think one, one that's really interesting is we, we made a call because we wanted to be really flexible that if anyone is ever not at a meeting and has to dial in, then everyone has to dial in. By the way, this is just a little thing, but it's, it's, it makes a huge difference because we realised that if you've got one person dialing into a meeting and everyone else sitting around the table, you know, the person who's dialing in gets a less of a meeting experience than everyone else. Um, the, the sound quality is worse. Uh, there's always a little chatter around the edges of the meeting and so on. So we made this really interesting call that, you know, if someone's working from home or if someone's remote, uh, then everyone has to dial in. So we're all on headphones and so on. The flip side of that which is really fascinating, is now for a lot of our meetings, which are the short ones, you basically dial in. And from my perspective, what I do is I walk. <laughs> I actually, uh, I, I, I find it's great because I stay focused on the meeting. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not being distracted. But moreover, um, I get to do maybe 16 or 17 kilometres a day of meetings, which is how I measure it. And that's just been <laughs> one, little, one little habit or one little hack of, you know, which, which has all these positive benefits. One, I get some exercise. Secondly, no one is disadvantaged um, around the meetings. Thirdly, we become a very flexible company because basically it doesn't matter. You know, there's no sort of requirement to be there and, and you know, FaceTime. Uh, and fourthly, I actually think in a weird way it makes, I know it makes me more focused because I'm not, you know, um, running the risk of trying to do things on the side. 
So, yeah, very interesting little things like that. I, I wanted to ask you, you've been on the journey, obviously, with Sendle of, of raising money um, and experiencing, you know, the art of the pitch and, and resonating and trying to connect with venture capitalists. What's, what are your reflections on, on what makes a good pitch? And also, I guess, you know, uh, what for you makes a good funding partner? Yeah, look, I, I think um, the, the second one, what makes a good funding partner, we actually apply the five H's um, to, uh, to and, and hell yeah. You want a few companies to with that level yeah. of consciousness, I would, I would imagine. Yeah, it's, well, it's a test that we have, and we're really lucky. Um, you know, we have amazing investors such as Full Circle, uh, Rampersand, Giant Leap, uh, Black Sheep. You know, we think of them; they're all very, very much aligned with us around values, and you know, five H people um, on that journey. But also, have been incredibly supportive with referrals or, or other things. So we're really lucky that we're getting that we have you know, some amazing investors on board. But I think, you know, to your, to your earlier question, what makes a good pitch? I think the, the first thing to realize for most entrepreneurs is that there's two, two places where you'll find money. There'll be either, you know, angels or others who are basically investing their own money. And for that, that sort of group of people, all bets are off. You know, they're probably going to invest in you and maybe your product or maybe your market. But, you know, really, there's not, there's not too much uh, process there. But there's another set which are people who are investing other people's money. And the big realisation is that they, they in turn have people to, that they are accountable to and that they have a mandate. You know, I'm going to, you know, their mandate might be we will invest in SaaS businesses, you know, series at Series A or, you know, we will look for high growth businesses that are growing more than 15% per month or whatever the mandate might be. And they'll have... You know, a whole lot of things because they they're also trying to do what they said they would do. And so, the biggest thing is realizing, and the industry, you know, the industry clusters around certain things like the concept of a seed or a Series A. But it's biggest thing is realizing what does a Series A look like for my industry, in my country or wherever I'm seeking money, and then making sure you look like that. You know, in a funny way, you know, don't, uh, I, I think of it as like, you know, they're looking for a duck, don't be a cow. You know, don't be a chicken with a duck's bill, right? Like you've actually got to really understand because in some ways your business is a product and they're looking to buy, you know, in other words, investing that product. And just like you're searching for product market fit, it's the same thing. So, you know, understanding that marketplace, particularly, and, and it's not because they don't, somebody might not like you or anything like that. It's because they themselves have a mandate and that there's a certain, you know, set of products called Series A or whatever it might be that you are within that marketplace that you're trying to fit into. Obviously, there's a lot of chatter about a lot of the entrepreneurial experience. Kind of, you could argue there's a bit of a, a cult of entrepreneurship that's emerged over the last, you know, decade, decade and a half with Zuckerberg and Bezos and, and a whole like. What do you feel we don't talk about enough when it comes to uh, the entrepreneurial journey? I think that the, you know, I think there's a lot of myths in the entrepreneurial journey. Um, one is that it's, uh, that it's, you know, somehow fun or, you know, it can be really fun, but it's also really hard. And, you know, I once described as, I think this is Matt Berryman who gave a presentation and he had two slides up and it was like uh, his, his characterization of being in a corporate was sort of somebody on a hamster wheel, um, which, you know, uh, again, can be fair or not, depending on which corporate, or, you know, a startup, which is where you're pushing a giant rock up a hill. Point being that neither of them is easy, right? And that you have to realize that, you know, both of them uh, have got a lot of trade-offs, a lot of balances, but you've also got to be committed to be on those journeys. So I think the, you know, the first thing is realizing that. But, you know, I think the other thing is, so, you know, celebrating 
you know, if, if we look at Sindel now, we've seen, we've seen um, I, I recently did because I'm still a space nerd. Um, you know, I've worked out that we've actually sent a parcel equivalent to the sun and back 23 times. Wow. Which is like we've basically sent a parcel you know, halfway between Uranus and Neptune. Uh, and that's 100% carbon neutral as well because we offset every single delivery. And, you know, and we've facilitated over $250 million or we facilitate over $250 million worth of small business commerce every year in Australia. You know, those are amazing things to think that we've, you know, uh, you know, three years ago, really, small business didn't have a choice and we're spending lots and lots of time lining up and, you know, and, and dealing with complicated systems and processes and pricing and, and paying much more than they should have. So for me, that's the beautiful thing about the startup journey and celebrating the fact that you can create something that will make a huge difference to people's lives. And I think the startup community, you know, in terms of trying to under, you know, talk about that for people who may want to join, that's something we need to do a lot more of. And you mentioned there the carbon neutral focus that you've had from day one. Why was that kind of core pillar around sustainability <clears throat> so important to you and your co-founders? I think it's it comes back to that purpose, you know, the, the concept of purpose. Um, so I, uh, so I used to do a lot of work with the United Nations Environment Program, and you know, it was actually at the Rio Plus Ten conference way back in two thousand and two, at Joburg, where I think the, the whole industry worked at, you know, woke up and said, you know, it's not about good business or bad business. And I realised at that point that what I really wanted to do was make sure that whatever whatever business I was part of, we could align improving, you know, the community, having positive benefits for the, for the economy or the environment, all of those wanted to be aligned deeply with our business model. So from day one, we set up two share and then Sendle to say, well, if we're going to send parcels around, we don't want to have an impact on the environment. You know, transport and logistics is 10% of all carbon emissions. So let's make sure we're not contributing our piece. Let's make sure that we, you know, what part of the society we're helping. And, you know, helping to promote diversity in small business in Australia. And so those things just became fundamental pillars of the business model. Um, and these days are in something, some of the things that make us unique. You know, we were Australia's first technology B Corp, for example, which is a way of asserting that you actually do want to put stakeholders on the same level as shareholders when you make decisions. It's uh, quite an amazing story what you and, and uh, the team have built uh, and I look forward to only continuing to watch it head on that rapid growing trajectory in the years ahead. James, I'm mindful that you've got a lot on your plate. I've got one final question before I let you go. We love to encourage people to move from ideas to action here on Coffee Pods. If you could leave listeners with one call to action at the end of listening to everything you have to say, what would you like to encourage them to go and do? Uh, look, I think the you know, the good thing about iteration is that it, you can take one little step at a time. Um, it's always that first step's the hardest. You know, as they say, what was the best, the, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago and the second best time is now. So taking that, that first step is really the most important thing you can do and it doesn't have to be big. I think too often we sort of sit back and make it bigger than it needs to be. If you want to do something, take that one little step and then, you know what, if it succeeds, you can take the next step. I love it. Keep it simple. Uh, I'm going to be thinking about hell yeah decision making and also that encouragement to to think really consciously around focus and how you bring that to, that kind of scrutiny to the decisions that you're making and what you're putting time, effort and energy into. James, again, congratulations on everything you're doing with Sendall and thank you so much for making the time to talk with us today. Thanks, Holly. Great to talk. Thanks for listening. I hope you feel inspired and have some practical ideas for how you can go and fuel the difference you want to see in your life, organisation or community. If that's a yes, please take a moment to send us feedback, shoot me a tweet at Holly Ransom 
leave a review for this coffee pod or head to www.coffeepodswithholly.com and send in your questions and suggestions for future coffee pods. But for now, until our next coffee break, I've been Holly Ransom. Thanks for fueling your difference with me.